Well, good morning. Uh, my name's James. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And we're in a series called Jesus Is, where we are exploring some of the things that Jesus said about himself. And we are particularly looking at seven specific things that he said about himself in a written biography of Jesus by someone called John. And these seven statements aren't just cursory one-liners or a description in Jesus's Twitter bio. No, these are loud, provocative, often offensive statements that he makes about himself. And uh, on a surface reading of them, we can easily miss the significance of what Jesus is really trying to say. And that could be no more truer than the statement that we are going to be looking at today. Uh, and so we're going to be reading uh, from uh, John chapter 10. And as you will see, it would appear to be quite a dull statement that Jesus makes in some ways. Uh, but let's, let's read it uh, and see what he says uh, in John chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 1. It says this, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and when he has brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Wonderful words uh, that Jesus shares some familiar ones there and Jesus his statement about himself is I am the gate now you can see why uh, what I meant can't you it's hardly the most inspiring object to compare yourself to you know last week we saw Jesus say I am the light of the world and it draws you know awe and wonder from you but here Jesus saying that he is like a gate uh, and you could be thinking, well, are you running out of things to say, Jesus? Are you experiencing writer's block or, or something like that? But as we will see, the teaching that Jesus brings here is, is always powerful, is always life transforming, and it's always true. You won't look at a gate in the same way ever again, probably. Uh, and firstly, we need to, to understand who Jesus is speaking to in this exchange because that very much shapes how we understand 
what he is saying. And so Jesus is in dialogue with the Pharisees here. And, and like we heard last week, it's, it's the same encounter in which Jesus heals a blind man in the previous chapter. In fact, it's the same day. And the Pharisees rebuke both the blind man saying he's a liar for being blind in the first place. And then they criticised Jesus for what he was doing and, and really saw him as a threat. And the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of the day, they were powerful, they controlled the Jewish temples, they established the rule of law for the Jews, and by doing so were rewarded richly by the Romans. They weren't invisible religious leaders who no one paid attention to. They very much set the agenda. And Jesus is confronting them head on. And he starts that in verse 1 and says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees. And whenever you see Jesus opening up like that, you know he's not about to invite them to uh, a teddy bear's picnic. I tell you, Pharisees, very directly. And Jesus, in this word picture or this illustration that he develops, is is going to outline three main roles in the story that we need to pay attention to. And the first is the thieves and the robbers. The second is the sheep. And then finally, he finishes off with the gate. And so we're going to look at each of them in turn. And so Jesus starts by introducing this idea of a sheepfold or a sheep pen. And it says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. In fact, it's, it's an illustration that he carries right the way through chapter 10. And it was a familiar image in that day. Not only was the manual work of a shepherd familiar in that culture, but the imagery of, of the shepherd was hugely significant too. Abraham in the Old Testament, uh, one of the founding fathers, was, was a shepherd. Isaac, his son, was a shepherd. So was Moses. The great Israelite king David was a shepherd boy. But probably more significantly than all of that is that God in the Old Testament was portrayed as a shepherd. There's that great piece of writing in Psalm 23, isn't there, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. And it was full of meaning and significance and so Jesus opens up with this picture of a sheepfold in which the shepherd each evening would gather their flock into one of these pens and often the sheepfold would be used by multiple shepherds and so there could be sheep from various flocks in the sheepfold which Jesus alludes to a little bit later on and the sheepfold would have had an entrance which the shepherd or a watchman would typically lie across to ensure that the sheep didn't escape, but also that predators wouldn't get in, but also uh, to protect them from thieves who would look to steal the sheep and sell them for their wool or their meat. And so Jesus sets this scene that we have sheep in a sheepfold and says that anyone that tries to enter the sheepfold and not use the gate is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the sheepfold by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So what is Jesus 
saying here. In these verses, Jesus is not painting a quaint countryside picture of lambs leaping over hay bales, but rather he is saying there are thieves and there are robbers out there who are looking to steal and destroy the sheep who represent the people of God. There are those who are trying to steal and snatch people away from God or hold people to a standard that they can never live up to. And so here's the first challenge that Jesus is bringing. That there are enemies out there that are trying to lead you away from God. And they usually masquerade themselves as either religion on one side or rebellion on the other. And we're just going to think about those two things for a minute. You see, here Jesus is attacking, attacking the, the leadership of the Pharisees and saying, you are like thieves and robbers. And the Pharisees uh, were a particular sect of Judaism who, as well as adhering to the law given by God, established their own man-made laws, which supposedly acted as a kind of ring fence around the laws of the Torah, so that people wouldn't even come close to breaking God's law if they held to the additional laws of the Pharisees. And they were proud of it. They saw themselves as superior to other Jews. And in effect, they were enforcing a religion which said, you have always got to do more. And here Jesus slices through their legalism and their rule keeping and said, you Pharisees are like thieves and robbers. Beware of the Pharisees that, that sneak over the boundary of, of God's word and say, the only way God will accept you is by performing and doing more. It's a direct leadership challenge to the Pharisees. But we should also feel the weight of that challenge too. You see, we can try and cover up our weaknesses or our failures by trying to do the right thing. You know, if I attend all the, the right church meetings or, or, or give some money away or do my bit or read my Bible every day, whatever it is, we can quickly justify ourselves or have a sense of achievement in what we have done so that in some way we are deserving of God's blessing. And it's dangerous and we should be wary of it. And so here we have Jesus attacking and, and rejecting religion and legalism. But we also see that Jesus is also attacking rebellion too. You see, the other way in which we succumb to the enemy is through rebellion. And at the beginning of verse 10, we read this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the strategy of the enemy, which in the Bible is called Satan, is to lead you down a path of disobedience until it leads to spiritual death. But it can just start with doubt. It's a classic enemy tactic, planting doubt in your mind by saying, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? And in this post-Christian secular culture that we now live in, in which our society and the morality that goes with it is being reframed around justice, you can hear that voice, can't you, of, did God really say that? 
Does the church really believe that? Do you as a Christian really live by that? Just sounds oppressive. And so now thousands of years of godly morality, theology, doctrine and ethics is being challenged simply by the voice that says, did Jesus really mean that? In James chapter 1 verses 13 it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it just starts with doubt. And then it gives birth to desire. And then disobedience. And then ultimately it leads to spiritual death. Now here's the thing. When you're in a position of doubt, you don't sense death, do you? You just sense doubt. When you're in a position of desire, you don't sense disobedience or death. You just sense joy and life and passion and freedom. And when you're in a position of disobedience, you may be conflicted, but you are probably in the early stages of the fading joy of sin. But when you get to death, there is nothing other than bitterness and sorrow. And some of you right now are experiencing the enemy stepping over the boundaries that God has ordained in your life. And it's a voice of temptation that says, get out of here. There is freedom elsewhere. The grass is greener over there. I wanna say it's so important that we shut that voice down. Don't listen to this voice that says there is nothing good here. In fact, there is nothing good in rebelling against God. And some of you recognise that pattern in your own life right now. You can trace through doubt, desire, disobedience and possibly even spiritual death. And you're sitting there thinking, man, this, is, this has got out of control. This situation has got out of hand. I am living in compromise right now. I, I've made some decisions that are leading me away from God. And I think, as, honestly, I think as well as God working in this time, the enemy is also looking to disconnect people, disorientate people, leading people to make strange decisions, whether that's in their relationships or in their finances, addiction to all sorts of things. I want to say don't compromise. Don't tell yourself that a little bit of this and a little bit of that will be okay because it will lead you down a path. You don't want to go down. And so Jesus in presenting the sheepfold and the threats to the sheep is saying, beware of religion that tries to pull you up to some kind of moral high ground that you will never attain. But also beware of rebellion, which will pull you down into disobedience and spiritual death. Instead, Jesus says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep and in verse 3 it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and when he has brought them out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep 
follow him because they know his voice. Rather than trying to walk the line between religion and rebellion, as if discipline is the same as religion and grace is rebellion, or they're on the same spectrum, Jesus presents a different way, which we see in verse 3. And he says, the sheep listen to his voice. And so now Jesus turns his attention to the sheep. And he says, the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. Sarah and I are very much in the disciplining stages of our parenting of Maddie right now, who's one and a half. And she's not quite old enough to understand the why, why we're asking her to not do certain things. But she still does know when she's not supposed to do something. Uh, I think I naively uh, came into parenting thinking that I could turn on the stern voice and that would really work and she would really understand what I was was getting at and she would listen. Uh, you know, when I was a teacher, I think I developed a reputation, I'd like to think I developed a, re- a reputation that whilst I'm, I was a fun teacher, that you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side. And I thought that Maddie at her age might follow suit somehow. Um, turns out she finds the stern voice all the more entertaining and sends her into an even greater fen- frenzy, which is perfect. Um, it's one thing to recognise the voice. It's another thing to do uh, what that voice says. And the mark of a Christian is someone who not only listens to the voice of God, but also then follows it. Is that wonderful line at the beginning of John's Gospel in which Jesus is at a wedding and they have run out of wine and the servants at the wedding are, are working out what to do and they're in conversation with Jesus' mother Mary and Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. If, if there's a better vision of, of discipleship than that, then I haven't heard it. Mary understood it, she got it. She said, listen to his voice and do it. In fact, Jesus elaborates on this in verse 5 and says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You see, another mark of a Christian is not just someone who hears the voice of God and follows, but in fact runs away from the voices of strangers. I find that so interesting that the sheep are so in tune with the voice of their shepherd that they run away from other voices that are trying to get their attention. We are called to run away from the voices that compete for our attention and our affection and solely go after Jesus's voice. And a quick tip that I picked up in uh, Jack Deere's great book, Surprised by the voice of God, uh, uh, in which he says that uh, you will know it to be the voice of God by its fruit. And in Matthew chapter 7, in the context of of false teaching, he says, uh, by their fruit, you will recognise them. By their fruit, you will recognise them. That every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And essentially they're saying, you know, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. And so in listening to God, we can track the good fruit in our lives. Uh, And so I want to encourage you 
to think what voices are competing in your life? Who are you listening to in these moments? And then the third aspect that Jesus reveals and expounds upon in, uh, in this passage is the role of the gate. And Jesus says clearly in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find green pasture. And I think the temptation with a verse like this is just to understand that, that idea that Jesus is the gate as, as, as though he is the, the way to eternal life. And, and that is absolutely right, that through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, that he has forgiven our sin, defeated death, and has promised eternal life with him. That's definitely a way to read it and understand it, and that is true, and we want to agree with that. But I also think there's another way of understanding what Jesus is saying, that there is significance in that verse for life today. It says that the sheep will come in and go out and find pasture. And this is such a powerful illustration. I want us to understand it this morning because it draws from the leadership roles found in the Old Testament in which they were to lead the people out and bring the people in. So you have Moses who, who led the people out of slavery and then brought them into the promised land. And this became a metaphor for warfare and then for worship or a picture of the kingdom and then the priest. And then as Moses is coming to the end of his life, he's aging and he's in conversation with God. And in, in Numbers 27, I think he says, who will lead the people out and who will lead them in? Who will bring them in? And God said to Moses, Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people out and bring the people in. And this is the primary role of leadership that we find in the Bible. Remember King David, where it says of him that he led the people out and brought the people in with great skill. Except one year where he failed to lead the people out. And that was the year Bathsheba happened. And then with Solomon, David's son, in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon and says, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon says, well, I'm a child. I don't know how to carry out my kingly duties. This thing of being a king and a priest is impossible for me. And so God gives him wealth and wisdom. And it's those same passages that Jesus is, is speaking from and, and referring to. You see, all these Old Testament prophecies are pointing to, well, who is the leader that we can ultimately trust to lead the people out and bring the people in? Who is the leader that can lead us out into his kingdom purposes in the world and bring us back into his priestly heart to enjoy his presence? Who will do this? Who can we trust? Who can we trust to give us a cause in the world, to give us a destiny and a purpose, to give us meaning and significance on earth and then bring us into his presence? So that we are not shaped by the cultures of this world. Who gives us this rhythm of life of being let out and then being brought back in? It's only Jesus. You see the city here has a rhythm of life which is like let me lead you out and then burn you out. Grind, grind, grind. Die in the wilderness. Move to Somerset. Or there is... 
The opposite, isn't there? Those who stay out of the world completely and just do the priestly thing and hang out and hang out and hang out. But to really follow Jesus is to seek his kingdom in the world and then to be a priest in his courts. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate. This is the rhythm of life that I bring. This is what life looks like under my leadership. And I see, you know, so many people confused about how they do life and they end up living this frenetic lifestyle, trying to find this rhythm. But Jesus says, let me shepherd you. Let me shepherd you to your purpose in the world and your place before me. Trust me, he says, I will be better for you than Abraham or Moses. I'll be better for you than religion or rebellion. Come and follow me. And we find that what this leads us to is life. Look at the end of verse 10. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Whose leadership are you under? Whose voice are you primarily listening to? Is there a thief of religion or rebellion that is sneaking over God's boundaries, sneaking into the sheepfold that is appealing to you right now? Is there compromise in any of you right now where you are being led by some other leader rather than the person? Of Jesus and in a moment we're going to take communion together and this is an opportunity between you and God to come under the leadership of Jesus again to bring your sin before him to bring your compromise or your religiosity or your tendency to rule keep or perhaps your rebellion to him and say Jesus I want you to be the Lord of my life and so in a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion together. Uh, and I'm not going to lead you in communion this time. I want to encourage you that wherever you are, uh, whoever you're with right now, whether you're with your family, flatmates, perhaps just on your own, I'm just going to give you some space for a couple of minutes just to take communion, to not be distracted by me on the screen, uh, but just to take some moments for, you, for yourself to break bread to drink wine and to thank God for his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm going to pray and then you can take communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word that we find in the Bible. Lord, we thank you for these verses. Lord, we thank you that you are our great shepherd and that you have given us life and life in all its fullness. God, we want to take this moment now to uh, recognise and reflect on our own lives. And Lord, we ask right now, God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and help us and lead us as we think about uh, leadership and whose voices we're listening to. God, if, if anyone is living in compromise right now, God, I pray that you would humble us and soften us so that we might recognise that 
and follow your voice and do something about it. Lord, we don't just want to be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers. And so God, help us to do that. And finally, we, we also just pray, God, that we would find that rhythm of life, of, of, of living for the kingdom out in the world, but then enjoying your presence as well. God, help us in these challenging times to find that rhythm. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is now an opportunity for you to take communion uh, and we're going to then come back in a few minutes' time.